Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up? This is Dan, the fitness man. You're listening to Elk Shape Podcast. Today, we're bringing on Brian Seals. He lives out east. He's the East Coast guy, and he has, for the last decade, done several, several do-it-yourself hunts, and he's got a lot of experience on the logistics and all the things that go into planning a hunt when you're coming out east. So I'm going to preface this and say, hey, I've known Brian a long time. He's a really good dude, very knowledgeable. You're going to have to kind of get over the first few minutes of this podcast. He was super nervous. I don't know why. It was his first podcast, but we get through that and then he really starts dropping some great knowledge. So if you're an East Coaster, Midwester, and you're listening, thank you. Check this one out. I think there's some nuggets of information in here on how he's done it. He's driven and he's flown, rented cars. He's done all that kind of stuff for elk. And between him and his old man, they've gotten quite a few bulls on public land, do-it-yourself, blue-collar elk hunts. And I think that's awesome. they got a pretty cool moose hunt coming up too, I think, in two years. And we even get into his discipline on how he saves money for hunts years in advance which takes a ton of discipline and i love that so brian's a great dude get through the first few minutes of him being nervous and you're gonna you know basically like what you're hearing and thank you for listening to elk shape podcast you can check out the website elkshape.com we have some swag on there and some workout programs nutrition plans what what have you and really truly appreciate everyone's interest in this podcast i do it basically for people to crush the elk hunting learning curve which crushed me so take it from me you know i hunted idaho seven years without killing an elk in idaho with a bow and i hunted archery elk in other states for the first three seasons and got tag soup so it took me on my fourth season with a bow got a bull my second bull ever first with a bow in new mexico and that learning curve sucks, but that's I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's where I really learned the ropes of elk hunting and got my elk knowledge, which is just about everything. Knowledge is power in the mountains. And then obviously the fitness and the shooting, 
backfills everything and then the time spent behind the computer and studying maps and listening to resources. I just hope this is a great resource for people to be inspired, entertained, educated, and really understand that our heart is with the blue collar guys that have families and sacrifice so much just so they can go enjoy elk hunting. Check this episode out. Thanks for listening. Thank you, sponsors. Hard work, discipline, dedication, not feeling sorry for yourself. Thank you. And enjoy the show. All right, welcome to Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today we're bringing on Brian Seals. He's an East Coast guy, and he comes out west for elk hunting, and I'm excited to bring him on and kind of hear how he has done things in the past as far as getting all the logistics dialed and scouting and and how he's cut his teeth elk hunting. He's had some success, and him and I haven't talked in a long time, so this will be fun to catch up. Brian, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Dan. I, I appreciate having me on. Oh, dude, my pleasure. So tell us who you are, what's your background, what have you been up to, what are you hunting this year? Let's let's kind of fill in the background stuff first. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Brian Seals. I, I grew up in California. I mean, don't hold that against me, but uh, it's not much, very many hunting opportunities in California. But um, just like most guys, my dad took me out when I was young and... I remember him giving me a BB gun when he'd have his 30 out six and we'd be out there deer and pig hunting. But, um, that was, I mean, looking back at my dad, I think he enjoyed more spending time with me than really going out serious, trying to get something on the ground or bring home some meat and antlers. And he just was a a good hunter, but I mean, he would just kind of get out there and get me exposed and through series of events i got into aviation pretty young and then i uh, ended up living on the east coast and then really been pursuing elk since uh i went on my first hunt in 2008 so about 10 years ago in colorado and then i realized how hard it was and how much work and it takes to get a bull and then for a couple years there i was helping my dad get his first elk and then um he got a uh, landowner tag in New Mexico a couple years back, and we went out there, and he took a good bull. But So, yeah, it's, it's been pretty uh, busy with uh, hunts planned and logistics of trying to get out west. I mean, every year, it's I understand, because I talk to guys out in the East Coast all the time. They're like, I'd love to do that, just can't or don't have the time or something. And hey, I think you just got to commit and make it happen. I mean, if you're young, now's the time. If you're in good shape, I mean, just plan it out. I mean, there's tons of resources online now. I've been listening to podcasts, and um, I know I'm not a good elk hunter. I, I just I love to hunt elk, and I learn from other guys like yourself. And so, and if I can do it, I think other guys can too. So, tell us about your elk hunting learning curve. You know, you started in 2008, and it's 2018 i would really like to hear the ups and downs and where you're at currently in that learning curve so i went to colorado for my first elk hunt and went with my dad and really looking back i didn't know much about call or elk behavior we just kind of went and um i I almost want to say i got lucky but it is what it is, and I got a bull, and I was pretty excited about it. And we learned a lot. I mean, getting your first bull, and then we let's see here. So we we took a flight out to Denver and drove out, and then had the meat shipped back. But 
there's a couple different ways. Like since then, I've learned either driving out or flying out and trying to scout because it's something that you just really can't do living on the East Coast very often. I know there's guys that live in the, the Rocky Mountains and they're spending every weekend up there setting up trail cameras and stuff. And it's just um, so I've had to learn talking from them, going to shows uh, with my job. I get a chance to travel a lot and pick other guys brains. So that's helped me. And social media now has just gone crazy. You could talk to different guys, get different viewpoints, opinions, but it can kind of go the other way, too. So I think you have to be careful with that, too, as you probably learned. Oh, yeah. Social media is a little dangerous. But, I mean, so you killed a bull your first year? Yeah. Cool. Uh, first year going out, killed a bull. And then um, we we thought, okay, you know, we could do this uh, again. And we planned another trip the year after. And I kind of took a back seat for a while. And then I said, well, my dad, he, I was with him, and he's kind of like my main hunting partner. And for a couple of years, he had a, lots of close calls, and I was acting as a caller. We would backpack into some remote areas, public land, over-the-counter, Colorado. Um, and we still look at – I mean, those are some of the great, best hunts I had. It took him a couple of years to finally get his first bull. But since then, this past year, I went up to Idaho, got an over-the-counter tag, and uh, my dad went also. We both got bulls. It was one of those things where five minutes in the last shooting light of the last day, and this bull comes walking down the trail that I was kind of hiking up, and finally, I just 43 yards and shot him right there. And I know it sounds crazy to say that because I, I used to hear guys say that all the time. I was like, well, how did it all work out? And they're like, well, he just walked out, and there he was, and I shot him. I'm like, wait a minute. There's more than that. That's that's. But uh, looking back, it's like, I think you have to put yourself in the right place at the right time, learning where the elk are, doing a lot of that e-scouting ahead of time. But that's really what I've noticed from other guys that are consistently successful filling those tags. Because you, you'll go on the website and you'll see that harvest rates are like really pretty bad. I mean, so you got a lot of work to put out to try to fill that tag in most states for over-the-counter hunts. And... The more work I put in over the years, the more work I've been successful uh, with some of these hunts. And uh, Idaho was a great time. That was my first time hunting there. Let's see, my dad, yeah, he shot his bull. We were walking across like an open clearing, and I just happened to have one of those uh, mid-September Montana decoys. And so I held it out in front of me, and we knew these elk were coming back and forth feeding during the day or during the night. And... They would come down these lower elevations, and then during the night they would feed down there. So uh, they were going back and forth. We could see the trails that they were using. We just kind of played our game plan setting up on this area. We would wait for the thermals and the winds to switch, head out there, and uh, some of these elk would be coming down. It was real hot, and it was the first week of September. So, I mean, you got high temperatures. We had fires, lots of smoke. We didn't hear a single bugle, actually, that whole week that we were there. But we ended up feeling two tags, and with my dad's bull, it just we got caught out in the open. I had the decoy out right in front of me, and I kind of saved us, actually. And then moved over to another tree line once the elk saw us, we, and I started doing a few cow calls, and then typical setup where you got the shooter in front of you, and then the I was behind them, and I didn't see it all play out, but... He comes over and he's doing his fist pump, says, yeah, he's down. I'm like, oh, nice. 
So that was my dad's second bowl. This year, we're kind of doing something different. We've got a trip planned up to um, Alaska uh, going for moose. So uh, that really has taken up a lot of September. So I don't really have time for elk hunting this year. Okay, man, I'm starting to understand now. So <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm jumping all over. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you on track. We're going to go back to 2008. Um, do you want to say exactly where you were in Colorado or general area? I was up by Craig, Colorado. Uh, and, and this was before Onyx, and so I, I had maps out, uh, different areas of land tracks, um, with the over-the-counter tag, and knowing where we could go, where we couldn't go. My first experience, this is like probably the first night, we were hiking back, and there was a road, and on the other side of the road was private land, and the bulls were bugling so crazy. We, we had to like plug our ears walking out of there because we were getting a headache just from them bugling. It was just nuts. And so we knew we found a good spot, good location. But it was one of those things where ahead of time I was calling wildlife biologists. I would even call taxidermists. I'd call butcher shops and just try to gather data from other people and learn like different areas to go to. You would hear from somebody, hey, I hear there's a lot of, there's a good herd by elk, by Craig. And so that was the first year we went. That was, yeah, back in 2008. But since then, I've done a high country mule deer hunt in Colorado. So I've kind of taken a break from elk hunting for myself and try to get my dad to fill his tag. But uh, we've gone tons of different places, Durango, uh, Gunnison. A couple of times we would hire a uh, drop camp uh, outfitter that would just pack us in with horses because uh, my dad's older in age and he know you know his knees and back aren't the same you know when you get older so i'm thinking well I'll save you let's just get horses pack us in pack us out and we've had good success that way too i got interested probably a little bit later in the game than most guys i know that are been around a little i mean hunting so if like yourself you're taking what two bulls a year is that right not every year, but yeah, for a lot of years. Okay, well, I'm going to have to ask you specific questions. I thought you would share more, but you know, you're probably nervous or something. It's your first podcast. Brian, you're a nerd. You got to like you got to break down your process. You're coming out east on these out west hunts. There's a lot of logistics involved. Your day job, you're a pilot. You fly for airline, like commercial. Yep. Okay. What's your time off scenario for hunting? You have kids. You're married. Like, let's start there. Like, how much time are you allowed to go hunting out west, we'll say? (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty fortunate to get a couple weeks vacation a year with my work. And uh, my wife's really understanding. I'll set aside the time. And she knows it's a priority. And I'll say, okay, look, I took a week off for Colorado this year and then a week off for Idaho. Um, and balancing work and hunting, that's a whole different, uh, ball game right there. Cause if you go out on a hunt, I think, and you don't have things squared away at home or you, you know, things are just still kind of a mess, then I think your hunt's just not going to, the whole time you're out there hunting, that's all you're going to be thinking about. And you can't really focus on your, your goal. Okay, let's start right there. So what are some of the things you take care of at home so you can stay sharp and focused on your hunt? Uh, you know, family, spending time with them, making them a priority. Uh, 
you know, even my wife kind of said, you know, you're, you're home, but sometimes you're not there. So I'd, I'd be up late on the computer while she's putting the kids to bed, but I'm on looking up e-scouting or on Google Earth. And so I'm guilty of that. But I think more spending quality time with family and my wife realizes that the more I could do that, the more she appreciates that I'm around. And she's been really supportive. I got lucky. Um, one of the first dates we went on, I took her turkey hunting. So I just kind of get an idea. This is what you're getting into. And, but when it comes to taking care of everything else at home, I would say almost make yourself a checklist. And if, if I know, Hey, I need to get these things done before I can leave. Then if that, that's just weight off your shoulders and knock them out. And then, you know, like you got yourself a game plan moving forward, you know, traveling out to the Rocky mountains. Um, but spending time with family, making that a priority first. And then I think with every wife's going to be different, but I, with, I got lucky and she understands that, Hey, if I need to take a week off and go hunting, then I need to do something for her to make her a priority in my life too. Not just feel like, Hey, I'm putting hunting before you. So that's really good advice. So you fill up their love tank, you're being intentional, you're deliberate. I mean, it's very easy to be distracted when you're at home and it is challenging to stop, put everything away and be present. So good, good on you for saying that. And then getting that honeydew list of anything that, you know, needs to get done around the house or whatever. Then you start planning the hunt. So with you flying, do you fly out west or do you drive? I've done both, and I've talked to guys that have done both. And I just recently read a post of a guy that lived in Michigan. He spent $200 on an airfare round-trip ticket to Colorado, rented a car for probably 100 bucks, went out, drove to a unit, set up trail cameras, and he's going to drive back out and check them out later. I mean, I get props to a blue collar guy being able to do that. I mean, not everybody has a free weekend just to buy a cheap airfare ticket and set up cameras and head back home. And that's kind of why I rely on e-scouting for most of my research. Cause even with, I think most guys that travel for work, the, the hardest part is when you want to say, Hey honey, I want to go on a hunt. Well, you've been gone for 15, 20 days out of the month with my type of work schedule. I've been in hotels, traveling on the road, just gone. And so those are nights away from family that I don't get to see putting the kids to bed or have dinner with them. Like some guys that have a nine to five job where they're home every night. And so for me to take an additional week gone, say that's even harder for, I think most wives, it's almost like you're going to be deployed and, for driving out, I did that this year to Colorado, and you got to kind of factor in, okay, the cost of gas, it's going to take you about a uh, day and a half, and then versus flying, you're there in a couple hours, and you got to rent a car still, and some of these car rental companies, they you know, get all weird about if you ask if they have four-wheel drive, you know, but some do, uh, if you go to like Durango or whatever, um, so then you got the cost of the rent a car. So I think it's a balance between finding out the cost of logistics, the rent a car, the airfare, and then 
<clears throat> once you're out there versus driving, if you have the extra time, and then also bringing the meat back home. So the reason I drove this year to Colorado is so I can bring the meat back home in my truck and have all the gear and not have to worry about shipping it back or anything like that. So you're looking at really three days of driving on the total when you add the front end back in? Yeah. So if you have like say a week or 10 days off work, then you got to just chop off right there. Heck yeah. Three days off the front and back driving. And then you got a hotel plus or minus two, three nights in there. Uh, going and plus maybe $500 or so in gas round trip. Most guys are driving a truck. They sometimes are bringing the trailer. I've seen guys at the trailhead that have four wheelers from license plates from Pennsylvania to Florida to, I mean, Maine, you name it, New York. I mean, it's, that's kind of one of the big jokes that a lot of guys joke about is, you know, all these out-of-staters coming to Colorado for over-the-counter. Okay, so you do a lot of cyber scouting we've beat that horse but we're going to beat it some more what what's your methodology i'm going to give you five minute rant you got five minutes tell me as much as you can about your e-scouting for elk specifically go sign up for onyx and um, go hunt go from there i order the maps for the area that i'm going to uh, highlight trailheads i'll highlight uh, campgrounds I try to find out where people are going to and from. So learning the elk pressure right off the bat, where are these elk going to be moving from just people, uh, public pressure. Then from there, uh, really trying to take the time to study the unit, learn the trails, figuring if I get a bull in certain areas, how long is it going to take me to pack that bull out either by myself or with a friend or, um, and, one of the things you could do is look around, you know, obviously the north facing slopes, 30 degree angles, you got, you know, typical creek bottoms and springs for wallows if it's hot out. Um, try to find bedding areas, feeding areas. And I, I'll take notes and write down on paper on the map so I can go back and look at them and get a game plan when I'm out there hunting. So when I'm laying in bed or just in the sleeping bag, I'll look at like my my piece of paper and say, okay, this is what I got going on. And I'm not worried about, okay, where am I going to go next tomorrow morning? Because after hiking around, I mean, you're just, your mind's a mess. I mean, trying to think and make logical decision-making judgment. It's, I've noticed it helps to write down on the map kind of different areas. Um, like, okay, this the day I can check out here. Uh, then move over to a different area. So really getting the game plan together, I think, is uh, important. Okay, we'll talk tactics. So you got the trailhead day one. Uh, are you day hiking or are you backpack hunting? Uh, I kind of adapted more of a backpack hunting type style. I know there's guys that are going to go, say, one mile from roads and, say, two miles from campgrounds and trailheads. So I know that... Some of these guys don't really like to get off ATV roads. So I'll mark those areas off on the map knowing that it's, it's going to get a lot of traffic. It's going to push elk away in different areas. So through a process of elimination, I think by taking care of, all right, these are where most people are going to go. I'm going to leave the trailhead. I already have a spot picked out. And learning the thermals because I don't want to hike in there 
and <clears throat> realize, hey, the wind's going to blow my scent up into a one area. And then, so knowing, like, okay, tomorrow morning, the wind's probably going to be going downhill. The elk are going to be down in, like, a meadow basin. And it's a north-facing slope. It's, uh, you know, got creeks in the bottom. And kind of taking time, really, to learn and study the unit. But, and then from there, you know, at nighttime, you've probably heard this before, where um, you go out on top of ridges and bugle. And most guys aren't going to do that at night. And by bugling at night, you get a locating bugle from another bowl, like in a different drainage or a ridge. And, okay, well, that's he's probably going to be there in that same area. So we've had good luck, success doing that and knowing that if he doesn't get pressured or pushed out of that area, then we got a good chance at him. Or... Okay, so you definitely like to locate your bulls at night, sacrifice some sleep. And I think that's genius. I think that's so critical. Talk to me about your backpack setup. So I'm just going to ask quick questions. Give me some short answers. What backpack do you run? Uh, I ran EXO. 3,500? I did a 3,500 last year. This year I got a 55 because I eat a lot of food. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Food system. Yeah. Uh... If I can boil water, pretty much anything. I did the homemade stuff for a while. You know, the uh, got some Heather's Choice to try out this year. I'm kind of excited about the Mountain House, Backpackers Pantry. And then uh, I want to try the off-grid, um, some stuff that uh, I think guys would be interested in also. Okay. Um, what's your favorite protein bar, whatever, meal replacement bar? It's not the Builder Bar, but they make one that's at like 14 grams of protein. It's pretty clean, and um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, sometimes the chocolate will melt, and then, um, you know, you're trying to open it up, and it just gets everywhere, but this one's all, like, together like a granola thing. Okay. All right, so sleep system? Uh, just run a sleeping bag and a pad. And I've kind of adopted a thing where I can, wherever I'm at, that's where I'm going to spend the night. And I think that's kind of helped me versus wasted time hiking back to camp and realizing that, hey, okay, that, you know, hey, oh, it's getting dark. I can't keep going and hunt because I just want to be able to, wherever I'm at, that's where I'm going to sleep that night. And kind of being able to adapt and change to whatever situation you're at. Baby sack, tarp, tent, TP. what do you use? Uh, sometimes I won't even bring a tent. If the weather is showing, I mean, it's like 20% less forecast of rain, some early season, uh, I just can bring a sleeping bag and a pad. And then I have a, a two-man tent I've used before. It's a lightweight, big Agnes. That works pretty good. Uh, and then also I'll bring a tarp early season, but... I haven't really got onto the floor list. I know a lot of guys like that. Not me. Um, okay, hydration system. I have a bladder, and then uh, for backup, I have the tabs, uh, like the, I think they're like aqua filter tabs. And then the primary one I'm, I'm going to try out this year is like an MRS. Uh, it's like a squeeze hand pump that um, filters and just connects right into. It's pretty lightweight, about five ounces. 
Okay. How about how many ounces of water do you like to at least start the hunt with? Uh, you know, sometimes I've noticed I'm carrying around too much water. I have, a, I think, a four-liter bladder, and I'll figure, okay, at nighttime and the next morning, I'm going to drink a couple more ounces. And if I know that there's a lot of water in the area, I'm not going to bring as much. And then, especially if I know there's a creek or something. So, um, most places, I think, say, for example, Colorado, Idaho, if you can get around with um, carrying uh, three liters a day about, I mean, that's give or take. Okay, what about clothing system? Clothing, uh, I'm a fan of merino wool. I've used Cootie in the past. Uh, this year I'm switching over to Sika. Um, I've liked a lot of their stuff, cool camo. Um, I know some guys, they, you know, they use a Kip Trek, uh, but I think if you just keep merino wool base layer, get a puffy insulated jacket for when it gets cool at night, and then an outer rain layer shell. I know some guys even dip the soft shell jacket. And I mean, kind of keep it basic. Really just one pair of undies and pants, and then uh, kind of a minimalist approach, really. I like it. I think that'll work. Um, let's talk about archery setup. Do you tune your own bow? I do. Uh, I, I just bought a bow press and uh, arrow saw, and I think it's going to help guys learn more about their gear because when you start spending more time working on a bow, you learn it and then know what's going on. If you're out in the field, something happens. So I'll, I'll put new strings on my bow. I'll, I'll tune it. Um, something I just kind of it was a hot, hot moment for me is I'm, I'm shooting bare shaft through paper, trying to get perfect bullet hole arrow flight and knowing that, okay, well, if the veins on the back of the arrow are going to correct for any abnormalities, then if that arrow is shooting perfect straight through paper, I'm good to go. And I'll just leave it from there. Um, and then kind of build your setup. So, okay. And adjust your, your fletching for your broadhead size and, um, and then cut my own arrows way on. And that's pretty simple. I mean, if you got, you can spend, the money on that kind of stuff and it'll save you i think in the long run if you're going to shoot what broadhead do you rock what arrows uh this year i'm shooting the full metal jackets and then i shot a bunch of different broadheads over the years but uh the last bull in idaho that one was with a slick trick uh, viper trick and it did pretty good got a pass through and then I'll, I'll probably use that same one going up to alaska for moose Okay, so how did you learn how to elk call? Oh, man, uh, so starting out, I didn't know anything. And then through social media, internet, and YouTube, I found out about Corey Jacobson and uh, Paul Medell, the elk nut. Those two guys combined right there, if you could just spend a whole day watching all their content and then just learn a buttload. Um, and I still watch those videos and learn from them before an elk hunt. So those are my two go-to guys. Yeah, definitely. I got to get the elk nut on here. He's an Idaho dude. Um, I love his enthusiasm. And I've had Corey on here and try to ask him different questions. And 
Tomorrow we're recording with Jason Phelps, but we're, he does not want to talk about elk hunting. He's done so many podcasts on that. We're actually going to talk about his uh, fitness journey. He's lost a lot of weight, and he's doing some intermittent fasting and, and a little bit of keto. So we're going to break into the nutrition side of things, but I will talk a little bit of elk with him, so we, we have to. But I got you on here. So you've hunted elk for nine years. How many bulls have you killed in those nine years? really only three and i'd say a majority of the chunk in the middle between those nine years from when i shot my first bull 2008 i was trying to help my dad get his so we did a ton of different trips and a couple years we took a break we had different family stuff going on and um i would call for my dad and man he would pull back his bow or miss an arrow or you know or just something would happen and i don't blame him but uh I made it more of a priority for myself to get him his first elk. And so, so really just three elk. I know it's not a lot. That's why I'm still learning. And just one of these average blue collar guys that just goes out there and gets it done. I love it. That's why you're on here. So tell me about hunting with your dad, the ups, the downs, his strengths, his weaknesses, and your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, he's not a trophy hunter. I remember at one point, he uh, was cleaning out his garage, man. He just threw away all of his antlers. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? And he was like, well, I just don't want them or need them anymore. And I'm like, oh, man. And when we would hunt together growing up as a kid, it was mostly northern California. And we would pig hunt. So really, there's no antlers there. We just, you know, he got bacon on the ground. So it was good. But um, for him, he... He could keep up with me for quite a few years. And I say that because of his age and, you know, being a dad. And then when most guys get older, then they slow down, which is respectable. But still, even now, he's in his late 50s. He can pretty much go almost anywhere I can. He's, But he's just a little slower, which is fine. Um, I, he really kind of takes time, I think, more to enjoy the hunt versus myself where I'm maybe more gung-ho than he is and i i just have more wasted energy maybe <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but uh i mean he kind of relied on me a little bit because i would tell him like hey this is what we're doing this year and he'd be like okay and then we'd go there we'd hop in the car and start driving or um so he kind of relied on me more for planning these hunts and just something i would learned from other people like places to go to and he would just come along and i'd say okay dad just shoot your bow get ready you know and he'd be a little klutzy in the field which is cool i mean it just it happens all of us but uh, after a while i mean he kind of i think he's he's got it down now where he knows you you get into a groove when you're you're elk hunting and you um you're in that moment and the bulls are coming in and you know just kind of instinctively all right where to put yourself in a, a position you got something behind you to break out your outline, uh, when to pull back your bow. So I think he's finally caught on now. And so those are things I've had to kind of teach him over the years, but he's, uh, he's doing pretty good. Uh, so you're the planner. What does he bring to the table? Uh, <laughs> these are some good questions, man. I should have thought about this more. <laughs> I think it's more memories looking back because I can't remember any of the video games I played with as a kid, but I can remember all the hunting trips he took me on. Yeah. And he, 
he was one of those dads I think just really cared more about spending time with you doing something and I mean obviously he enjoyed going out hunting but it was just that alone time like father-son bond and so for him to bring that to the table it's something I look forward to now for my kids you know Oh, that's pretty cool. So you and your dad are pretty close. That's pretty special. You guys are still getting after it. And now you guys have kind of set yourself up for what I would say is like potentially not a once in a lifetime, but maybe once in a lifetime moose hunt for blue collar folks. So let's, I know we're going to, we're elk shape, but we're going to talk about that hunt. So give us kind of the logistics, what you've planned so far and what are you anticipating? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Speck, the guys over at uh, Lenny Nelson, Exo Mountain Gear, uh, they, they had a podcast also talking about their experience elk hunting, or uh, moose hunting up in Alaska. And that kind of sparked my interest, and it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, so we <clears throat> talking with Steve, he's like, hey, just he put me in touch with the right guys. And, and that, that kind of trip really takes a lot of logistics because – I mean, when you get up there, you get dropped off. You're 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 by yourself. That's it. And uh, making sure you have everything. It's not like you can just hike off the mountain, go to your car, run back into town, and get something taken care of. It's like you're out there, and it's a ten day hunt up in Alaska. Moose. This area is a over the counter general tag. Um, one thing my dad didn't want was uh, some areas have like that. Was it fifty five or sixty inch requirement? Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't want to mess with that, so we were able to find an area that just, you know, you can shoot just about any legal bull, which is fine. And it's definitely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's not cheap. Uh, you know, it's a couple thousand bucks. But if you look at it from perspective of an East Coast guy moving out or trying to spend a, a week, their vacation time, the gas, hotel, you know, the, the price of a tag, then it starts adding up pretty quick. So you're almost looking at about the same. Where you can do it for a couple thousand, I think. I like that you're not in a, you know, that 50-inch minimum, man. That is, that's just gray area for me personally. I just don't want that pressure. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, and too many horror stories of 49.5 with the $500 fine. All your meat and rack is confiscated and you're sitting there. I know at least one person personally that's experienced that. It's just no bueno. So... That's pretty cool. So let's wrap this thing up with with kind of like mm, our recap. Here are the things that you need to do for guys that are coming out west from the east. Here is Brian Seals' best practices, however many they are. Tell us what they are. Uh, Onyx and go hunt. Sign up for memberships. Get yourself maps for the unit you want to hunt. Study the maps. Uh, learn the pressure, the areas of... Uh, where a lot of people are going to be kind of hunt around them, so to speak, um, get in the best shape you can and put yourself out there in the field and really just commit to it. I mean, some, some of these hunts I plan two years out because I know it's not, it's don't be afraid to do that. Like if you want to make it happen, just say, okay, not this year, but next year. And then just that way it's, it's already set in stone and I think it's easier to work with, but, um, other than that, learn from guys like Corey Jacobson for Colin, uh, Elknut Paul Mandel. Um, get yourself some mouth reads and definitely start practicing. And get a game plan. I love that people are writing down game plans. And what you said was like, man, you almost get the dum-dums 
when you're out there, you're exhausted, you're under duress, fatigue, it makes cowards of us all. And if you have a game plan and you're like, no, it doesn't matter that there's a 2,000 vertical climb that was supposed to be day three plan, then that's what you do. And it's in writing, and I think that's just critical. So getting yourself a game plan, it will take a little bit of time to develop, start out with a rough draft, but at least write something down. And then you said you you still order maps and tangible. You blocked out where two miles from campgrounds, designated campgrounds, genius. And you really said it's more of a process of elimination. I haven't heard anyone really say it that way. That that makes a lot of sense to me. That resonated. And then, you know, just mark a mile from trailheads. And those kind of start giving you, you know, the leg up. And then you can run the filters on Onyx Hunt, like the roadless areas, the burns, things we didn't even talk about. But those tools are there. None of this was available to you in 2008. And you made it happen on your first year out. And, and over the course of nine years, you've gotten three bulls. You've gotten your dad a couple uh yeah he's taking two now yeah that's five bulls in your group in nine years that's way better than the odds so you're definitely attributed to your homework last but not least this is elk shape tell us about your fitness regimen as it pertains to elk hunting and your big why oh goodness uh so it's kind of something I've learned just recently, taught taught myself to incorporate is if, if I have a workout I want to do or some guys it's even hard. For me it comes more natural, but I know with certain friends they just they're not motivated. So you gotta set a goal, set a workout program, uh set small goals that are attainable and then commit to them and then find your motivation. That's my kind of game plan from there. Break a sweat every day. And try to push yourself outside your comfort zone physically. I mean, if I'll do a workout and be like, yeah, that was good. I, and I feel like there's a thought that goes in my head that's, oh, you got a little bit more energy. I'm like, oh, crap. And so it's almost like that conscious telling myself, like, yep, you got to do more. And I realize when I'm out there, elk hunting, it's like, you're not done with your workout until whatever mountain in front of you is basically, like, you're on top of so you don't know whatever that mountain is and so it's kind of a multi-chameleon approach being able to tackle anything i try to think of it that way and it could be a small level for some people it could be a big level so you got to scale it to yourself uh so really with the workouts push yourself outside your comfort zone daily break a sweat and set small goals that's kind of my approach Majority of your time doing strength training, conditioning, a mixture of both? Mixture of both. Uh, traveling a lot with work, you just kind of, you're, you're given whatever. So sometimes I'm in a hotel room with some, you know, crappy dumbbells. And then sometimes I got a CrossFit gym right across the street from the, the hotel. I'm like, oh, sweet. And then, so just kind of taking advantage of whatever opportunity I have for fitness. And if there's a good pool, I'll just go swim. And so... Man, swimming so hard. I uh, there was a long, there was a couple years where we were pretty serious about CrossFit Games, and we'd been there, tw- you know, twice as a team, and we had to spend the time in the pool. Uh, I gotta be honest, I haven't touched swimming in probably two years because I hate it. It's just hard. I probably need to go do it. In fact, well, your guy, yeah, has very little body fat, so you're probably just like as soon as you hop in, you're starting to sink. 
But it's like anything, it's efficiency, just learning the efficiency, comfortable breathing periodically, and it's it's such a good total body workout, and it doesn't wreck you. And if you're injured or beat up, it's a good flush. So swimming is super legit. Um, dude, you're going on some pretty expensive hunts. You have other expenses. You work your ass off. Pilots aren't rich. What are some of your best like disciplined financial practices for guys that are hunting on budgets? Like, How do you do it, man? Uh, I'll take aside like, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks paycheck, just cash, kind of like a, maybe a Dave Ramsey approach, put it in an envelope and write on that envelope, 2020, I'm already doing it now for 2021, uh, planning stuff out. Um, or even in like a separate savings account of just realizing, okay, every time you want to buy a little piece of hunting gear, just realize, Hey, no, I got this accountability to yourself that. You know, if you set aside small increments, being able to break it up into, um, you're basically making payments to yourself ahead of time before the hunt. I think that makes it easier planning maybe two, three years out and just keep putting that cash in that envelope. Worst case scenario, you don't make it the hunt and you got an envelope full of cash. I, uh, I love it, dude. I think that's, I think that's sweet. I tell you, money is a tool. And it just like fitness, you have to make the hard decisions, choose that up road versus that downhill, easy slope and, you know, put it off that delayed gratification. It's the key to life, in my opinion, and it helps in every asset. So I like talking about the the fitness and the finances and the discipline. I think they all kind of are woven together and you know, being married, you, you know, being accountable to your paycheck is important. And, and yeah. man, doing it the way you're doing it, like you're already saving for 2020, like gold, gold star for you. Like, I think people are listening to this going, okay, maybe I need to change my approach or I think that's pretty critical. Are you guys like into Dave Ramsey at all? Uh, we, we've done a lot of his, uh, basically same philosophy, reading some of his books and um, adapted his methodology to some of our finances and it, it helps. Um, I know, yeah, sometimes guys don't make a lot of money and they're working nine to five. And so they just are, uh, got enough pay mortgage. You got your gas, you got your, um, you know, just basic. I have a separate checking account really where if I have, if I know, okay, this much I, I I'm spending, then all my fixed expenses are coming out of that paycheck. And kind of with that said, I'll, I'm already saving maybe for my kids' college, but I can really plan ahead and know that, all right, that money is there. So it's almost the like if you look at the end of your year and see how much taxes were taken out, you're like, holy crap. But then each paycheck, you're like, oh, that's not too bad. So it's kind of smaller increments, I think. Yeah. It, uh, it helps. Just a little five ten percent here or there, you won't even notice it, and it comes in handy. You know, I got Nevada, I got Idaho speed goats, I got Nevada elk, Wyoming elk. I'm spending all summer like bulletproofing my trailer, bulletproofing my four with it, changing the diff on the front, the back, changing the brakes, air filter, oil filter, blah blah blah. Bought an extra tire for my trailer and greased my axles and there's so much you know i'm stashing some cash for gas because it's going to be at least 500 bucks and so it's just 
Man, the more that you can just chip away and do something every day in the name of better elk hunting when it comes to fitness, finance, shooting your bow, or doping your weapon, all that, man. This is good information for people to take in, and it's a different angle that I don't think anyone else takes on their podcasts. We're all about those blue-collar dudes like yourself. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on, man. Is there uh, anywhere people can follow you on social media? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but that's about it. I have an Instagram account, and I don't get on there too often, but that's about it. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I'll provide a link to your Facebook, and we'll have you back on after your moose hunt and figure out all the stuff you did right, what you maybe could have done better, and hopefully some successful stories and all that moose meat that's delicious. It's my favorite game meat. So, cool, Brian. Thanks for coming on, and sorry about the technical difficulties in the beginning but i think we got it figured out all right yeah no problem thank you dan awesome brian good to talk to you man i'll see you all right take care